and just teach on communion, why we do it, what, 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 what is it there for? Because we do it so often and so many times things that we do as Christians just becomes a little box that we tick. I've done that. I've done, I've done my prayer. I've read my word. I've done, and that's not the way we should do it. So communion becomes another one of those if we don't watch out. We just, not here, but, you know, put it in between this and that. And, there, and communion is communion is communion. We can do a whole sermon and a whole day just on communion, the blood and the body of Jesus and what has been made available to us through that. So we're just going to look at communion today like that. So the first time I did it, I remember well, it was on Exodus 12, where God tells the people that they are going to leave and he tells them what to eat, what to wear, how things are going to happen. And... Something very important in that chapter, God commands the people and he says that this will save you. Because after all the plagues, there's an angel of death that is going to go around and, and the death of the firstborn is going to happen. But if you have this as a sign, then you'll be safe. And that, what I'm talking about is the blood of the, of the lamb. Lambs, they would slaughter lamb, they would kill a lamb, they would put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. We all know this. So when the angel of death would pass and see the blood on the doorpost, it would move and it would not go into that house. So the blood on the doorpost protected that house. We all good so far? Okay, very quiet here. Yeah. Question, let's say you are, man, just the most, in that day, that night when the angel of death came around, you were the most disobedient, you just swore at your sister, you said that you were going to kill one of these Egyptians because how dare they do this to you and you're offended by what they did and you're just going to have your way and you were so angry and you're just planning murder in your head and you're going... Yet you were in the house where the blood was on the door. Were you safe? Why were you safe? Because of the blood. Let's say you were the most amazing person. Didn't do anything wrong. Mr. Goody Two Shoes himself. But when this angel of death came by, you were not in the house. You were on the outside. What would happen? So the position that you take concerning the blood of Jesus or the lamb is what saved them, okay? Not your goodness or your badness. It's the blood and the position that you take within the blood. Are you protected? Are you covered by the blood of Jesus? Or are you on the outside of the blood and the protection and the goodness of the blood of the Lord Jesus? There's no one foot in the door, one foot out. You are either in or you are out. It's still the same today. You're either in Christ or you're not. It's as simple as that. In Christ, you have a father. You have a heavenly home that's waiting for you. Outside of that, there's hell. There's no other way there. There's nowhere else to go but that. They're just these two places. So my question today is, where do you find yourself? Because we're going to look at scripture that talks about a lot of these things. So Galatians chapter 3, 
verse 13 and 14. Let's start off there. Will somebody please remind me at quarter two that we have to do communion because I might just want to continue. Just remind me, we have to take the elements, the blood and the body. Right. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Loaded verse. We can probably quote that. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. What's the curse of the law? Very easy. You do not do everything the law says, you're cursed. You break the law, you're going to get cursed. There's a curse should you not keep everything the law says. The curse of the law. Okay. Christ has redeemed us from that. That's not for you anymore. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. How did he do this? Becoming a curse for us. Taking our place. Every time we broke the law and should have been punished for that, Christ stepped into that place and he became a curse for us. How? By hanging on the cross or on the tree. So that, he did this so that, the reason that he did that is so that the blessing of Abraham. What's the blessing of Abraham? Why? Is that a big deal? Blessing of Abraham? Why? Christ did all of that so that the blessing of Abraham could come upon the Gentiles. Most of us in here, Gentile, not a Jew, born in God's people, one of his race, that's you're a Gentile. So, but the blessing of Abraham could come upon the Gentiles who are in Christ. You have to be in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? Reborn. Jesus must be the Lord of your life. You have given the reins of your own life to him. You don't drive and take the reins anymore. It's now he that leads and guides. Jesus is your Lord. Not the family member, your father or grand. There's no grandchildren in the kingdom of God. God doesn't have grandkids. He has kids. So it doesn't matter who. It's are you, am I in Christ? Because then this applies to me. So, he, the, the blessing of Abraham might be, uh, come on the Gentiles in Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. This, this faith thing, man, I'm telling you. Super important. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing. So, by faith. Because you see, sometimes the enemy will come and he'll whisper and he'll say, even though you are reborn, even though you've done wrong, that's not really for you. By faith, you have to believe that you're in Christ. By faith, you have to know the day that you accepted Christ, it was for real. There's no, well, maybe one day here, the next day go back, well, I feel like it today. And to, no, it, this is it. I am dead to self and alive unto Christ. I have made that decision for myself. There's no turning back. There's no plan B. There's no back door to this. All the chips on the table, I am in debt to myself, alive to Christ. I am in Him. Okay. So Christ did that so that the blessing of Abraham could come upon us by faith. Then Galatians 3.29 
Thank you, Zach. And if you are Christ's, man, are you Christ's? Do you belong to him? Is he your Lord? If you are Christ's, you are Abraham's seed. Back to that thing he was talking about, the blessing. What is this Abraham's seed? Where does this come from? If we as a class had to write an exam now, would all of us exactly know? Would you be able to write an essay and explain to others the amazing privilege, what it means to be a seed of Abraham? Why the seed of Abraham? When was it? Would we be able to do that? And I think many of us hear these things, but we don't understand how amazing, what importance this carries to our life every single day. Yet we take communion, hopefully every week. We could take it every day. And this is what it's talking about over here. So, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What promise? Where did that promise come from? Why is this amazing man, Paul, taking our whole book to this people and writing to them about the blessing of Abraham, the promise of receiving the Spirit through faith if you are in Christ. How important is this? So now let's go and see if we can work ourselves back to where all of this comes from and why this is important, so important to you and I today on October, is it the 7th, 2018? Time, man, time is time. Time is but a number. Okay, Jeremiah 31. Let's see if we can get where I want to go. Now, put this into perspective. This is this young prophet. He comes, he writes this. You have to understand that he could literally lose his head or be burnt at the stake or be stoned, whatever way you choose to die under the law for saying this. Because he and the people he's with now are under the law. And the law, remember we spoke about the curse of the law. You break it, death. There is the curse of the law. So he comes and he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. Who says this? God. Yad capital L-O-R-D. When I will make a new covenant. So new covenant implies that there is an old covenant or there isn't covenant already. But he says, I'm going to make a new one. A new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. In the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke. They broke. Remember this. Super important. They broke it. Because can God break covenant? Can God lie? Can God say something and not do it? No. So... Of course, if a covenant is broken and God and someone else was involved, it's the someone else, okay? God didn't have to state it, but he does. He's just saying, man, we had a covenant, guys, we, and you broke it. So that covenant wasn't working because we set up certain parameters. We said we're going to do certain, and you just didn't do it. You broke the covenant. But he says there's going to be a new covenant, uh, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. 
I will put my law into their minds and write it on their hearts. Because now what did they have as the law? Tablets and parchments and 613, do this, do this, not. And every day it was growing, it was becoming more. There were how to eat, what not to eat, who you can touch, who you can't touch. If someone dies, if law after law after law written down. They could go to the priest. They could go and see all these laws written down. God says, yeah, he says, you know what? You're not going to need that anymore. You're not going to have to need the priest You're not going to have someone to tell you, you can, you can't, you're not allowed, you should, you shouldn't, don't touch, do touch, go, don't go so many steps on a Sunday, don't walk another step. You're not going to need that. Because I will write on your heart. Me, myself, creator of heaven and earth, I will put it in your mind. Imagine carrying all those 670 and the Ten Commandments, all of that around. And someone comes and they say this. And there's going to be a day where we can chuck all of this away because it's not going to be necessary. Because on the inside, I will feel, go and talk to that person or don't go and talk to that person. Go and apologize or don't go and apologize. Give this much or don't give this much. Don't have to go ask anybody anymore. I can just, ah, there it is. Because he's writing on my heart. He's in my mind. He's now everywhere I go. Because if I can't, if if I have to leave for work very early and I forget to take all those laws with, now I get to work and I don't have the laws, what do I do now? Don't have to worry about that ever again. I can just leave the home. And the law is written on my heart, and it's in my mind. And wherever I go, because now, later, he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Man, this is good news. But this is during the time where this good news is absolutely, seemingly impossible. How is that going to be? Because you break the law, now you die. But look what this says. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. Okay? Does it go on? And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. <laughs> are, you his, are you his people? Yes. Is he your God? We People, we are living. You and I today are living in that day that was prophesied thousands of years ago and people longed and their hearts and the prophets could prophesy but they were how can it be i know this is god saying it but how in god's grace is this ever going to be possible and you and i are living it do we realize this covenant of grace and power that we are standing in and god says i will be their god they will be my people No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. Now, this next verse, this next sentence is, you have to to get it in your spirit, because with your mind, you can't. 
I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. This is the one who says, Moses, these are the laws. You break that, there's a curse upon you. Now, he says, there's coming a day. There will be a day that I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. We, we all, we're moving towards this, people. We're coming to this. But how did, how did we get here? How do we get here? How do we get to this covenant that God is talking to about going to happen one day in the future? Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 8, please. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry. Capital he being? Right, Jesus has obtained a more excellent ministry in as much as he is also mediator of a better covenant. So there was a covenant, but now there's a, a better covenant, and now there's a mediator, a different mediator in this covenant, mediator with a capital, which means Jesus, right, the mediator of a better, better covenant, which is established on better promises, for if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, finding fault with the people, them, they broke the covenant. Finding fault with them, the people could not keep the covenant. Finding fault with the people, they broke the covenant. Finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant. And I disregarded them, says the Lord. Man, this is God saying I disregarded them. You can read in the old covenant, man. God says I'll dry up the heavens. You won't have crops. You won't have fruit. You break that covenant, you're going to see who the... But he says there's coming a day, there's coming a covenant. He says there that he says, I used to disregard them. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. In those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest. Okay. That's amazing news. This is new covenant. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. How, how is that even possible? Something somewhere had to happen along the line for God to be able to look at sin in a different way. Somewhere something had to be done to sin itself for God to be able to say that, you know what, there'll be a covenant where I'll be merciful to your unrighteousness. I'm going to have grace. And a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So God says that there's coming a new time, there's coming a time where Things will be different, but how is he going to do that? Because sin is the issue, right? Sin is it. You break the covenant, that's sin. You do something that the law says you don't do, that's sin. So it's sin, sin, sin. 
So somewhere, something has to happen. Sin has to be dealt with in order for God to righteously, because he's a righteous judge, judge us the way he's saying he is. Somewhere along the line, something somewhere had to happen to sin. What happened to sin? How do we get to the place? So now let's continue. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 to 20. Every high priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. Yeah, we have a problem. We have the priests. Repeatedly, over and over and over, day after day, year after year, sacrifices, sacrifices, sacrifices that can't remove sin. Cover the sin, not remove. And then once a year, the high priest goes into the the Holy of Holies. They come, they send out the goat, they put the blood on it, send one into the desert, the other one they kill. Every single year is a reminder of, oh my goodness, we sinners, here we go again. Do this, and next year we come back, and the year, sin, sin, sin. Okay, so now here he says, the priests do that the whole time. But this man, capital M, Jesus, this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, is there ever going to be another sacrifice necessary for you and I to be forgiven? No. Why? Because after he offered up one sacrifice forever, should you sin tomorrow, Is that covered by that one sacrifice? Should you sin next year, is that sin covered by what he did, that one sacrifice? Okay, we're on the same page here. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Where are you and I seated today? At the right hand of God in heavenly places. Oh, oh, yes, are we there? Yeah, we're seated in Christ in heavenly places. Okay, right. Um, Sat down at the right hand of God from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. If he's sitting down and he's waiting, who's he waiting upon? Us, to do what? Trample the enemy under his foot, which is the body of Christ. He's waiting for us to take our position and do what he has enabled us to do. For by one offering, he has perfected forever. By one offering, which was the cross, Jesus, the Son of God, the sinless Lamb of God, offered up one sacrifice. What did he do with that one sacrifice? Perfected forever. Perfected forever. Those who are being sanctified, being sanctified, becoming more like Jesus. Your walk is changing. You are more like Jesus today than what you were last week. You are more like Jesus today than what you were last year. You are more like Jesus today when your friends see you from school. They think, goodness me, what has happened to you? This is not the same guy. Exactly because Of that sacrifice, I have been perfected forever. 
Not my mind. That's why I have to renew my mind to catch up with my perfected spirit. That's why John the Beloved says, as he is, so are we in this world. Your spirit has been raised like Jesus was raised. That's why your mind has to be renewed to catch up with your spirit. And then your body will follow. That's what he's saying here in this covenant that we are in today. Your spirit is right. Your spirit. So renew this to spirit. So, okay. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Now, once again, remember, in Christ or out of Christ. They're just two positions. Okay. So we are being... But the Holy Spirit also witnesses. Now, listen to what the Holy Spirit says. For after he had said before, what did he say before? This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds. This is the third time we read this in two chapters. Third time. It's pretty important if it's in the Bible once. Third time. Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is the remission of these, what is remission? Taken away, not there anymore. Where there is the remission, completely removed. People celebrate when someone, they say remission of cancer. What's that mean? It's not there anymore. Praise God, and people get happy. This is remission of sin, gone, not there anymore. Not there, remission. Where there is the remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, because of this, because of the remission of sin, because of that sacrifice, because it was just once for all and you perfected in your spirit, therefore, brethren, having boldness, having boldness to enter by what? Your good deeds? Not to enter because of your bad deeds? Because a lot of people don't want to enter because of their sin. And people point out, you're doing this, you're doing that, you're doing this. Don't enter. Don't go there. Having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood. Can you remember on the doorpost, Mr. Goody Two Shoes, inside or outside? If I know what the blood has done for me, and I have given my life completely to that, and that sacrifice has become my righteousness. Even though I fall and I make a mistake, because of the blood, I have boldness to enter into the holiest of holies. By a new and living way, You know what the living way, it's not in capitals there, but you know what the living way is doing right now? Interceding for you at the right hand of the Father. You want a prayer partner? You got the greatest prayer partner that ever lived. You want somebody to have your back? You have him already. You know what he's doing right now? Praying for you. Just agree with his prayers. Just agree with what he says about you. Just see through his eyes what he sees will change your life. 
it will not change your heart because your heart has already been changed. If you are in Christ, but it will change your mind because you will renew it and you will see things in a different way. By a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. Remember the veil was torn from top to bottom, God coming down to earth, not from, top, not from bottom to top, God splitting it when he gave up his spirit, and now the holiest of the holies are open. We can go in there. Okay, let's try to do this. Genesis 15. Because it says Christ is now is a mediator, capital M, the mediator of a new covenant. And we talk about the blessing of Abraham. Why is this so important? Who's Abraham? Who's Abraham's seed that Paul is writing a whole book about? Genesis chapter 15. God comes in Genesis 12. He calls Abraham out from where he's living. He says, take just you, your, your, your wife, go. He takes Lot. He gets into a lot of trouble because he didn't obey. And God says, I will bless you. I will do this. Uh, man, God just gives this man promises. You're going to have a son. He's old. He wants a son, doesn't have a son. We all know the story if you've been in church for three weeks. So God comes and gives him these amazing promises. Has God ever given you a promise and it still hasn't come to pass? This is for you. This is for me because there's stuff I'm believing for that has not yet come to pass. But because of this, because of that, it's happening. may not see it right now, but watch this movie. It's not ended yet. So Abraham comes to God who's given him all of these amazing promises. And Abraham doesn't know God. He's not a Christian, doesn't go to church, doesn't know, none of that. Chaldeans, God says, I called you out of the place of your fathers. So Abraham comes and he says, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? Now to you and I today, if we go to God and we say, well, how will I know? That's pretty lame, really. That's lame. Because he's given us his word, his blood, the cross. We have, we're on the backside of the cross. This is way in the beginning. Someone who doesn't know, someone who hasn't seen, someone who hasn't heard, and God's promising. So it's understandable that he says, okay, you say, I'm going to, do you, do, you do you realize how old I am? Do you realize how much I want to charge? Just hasn't happened. You talk about heirs. You talk about land. You, man, do you, okay, you're promising me all of these things. How shall I know that I shall inherit it? Good question. We understand that. That's okay for Abram to ask, but not for us. God says, okay, so he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, three-year-old female goat, three-year-old ram, turtle dove, young pigeon. This next verse is very interesting to me. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. Now, Abraham didn't obey God here again. Because God just says, bring me X, Y, Z. Abraham goes one step further. He brings that he needs to, but he chops them up in the middle. Like, what in the world are you doing? Places the pieces opposite one another. Birds, he doesn't. To you and I today, don't understand this because when you make a covenant with a, a person of the opposite sex and you give yourself to them for life, you get a ring. 
It's called a covenant. It seals the covenant. It's this thing. It's so very sad that this thing can just be taken off and just put away and thrown. doesn't count anymore. But these covenants that they made in the days of our forefathers, when they would cut a mark, you would have marks. They would make a fire. They would pour the ash in there so that you would have a mark for life. This is my covenant there. When someone sees that mark, they know this is a covenant man. So Abraham, understanding covenant talk, this is how you set up a covenant. So he's not disobeying. God says, okay, bring me these animals. Abraham, in his mind, understands one thing at this time, covenant. If we make a covenant, then I'll believe it. Don't believe anything. I don't even know you. You're not going to believe someone if they come and say, hey, tomorrow, this are you. you better know somebody. So he comes and he says, how am I going to know? And God says, okay, bring me these animals. He understands covenant. So he's chopped the animals up. And what happened? We don't have time. I've got five more minutes to go. Two people who make the covenant would stand in amongst the animals in the blood. They've chopped up the animals and there's blood in between. And they walk in a figure eight around the animals. And then they come and they face each other face to face. And they would say, my family is your family. If someone touches you, they touch me. If anyone says anything bad about, and you would make the, what do you call, the agreement that the covenant is based upon. And then you would say, should you break this covenant, may the same thing happen to you that these animals lying around us the blood that is flowing here, may your blood flow like the blood we are standing in right now should you not keep this covenant. That's what they did. Did we all know this? This is where this comes from. This is why Abraham, I don't have time, but remember when God said, go and sacrifice your son? What did he say to them? Hey, me and the lad, we're coming back. Remember that? Yeah. Why? Because of this covenant. Because once you've made covenant, it's a deal. I don't know what you did when you were young. People sometimes spit in their hands and shake. Maybe you did make a blood covenant. I don't know. But once you make covenant, that stands. It's a covenant. So God is saying to Abraham, I'm going to make a covenant with you. We're going to make a covenant. But remember earlier on, I said to you, remember this because this is a problem. When God made covenant with the people, what did he say? You broke the covenant because God's not going to break it. So we have a problem because, yeah, you have Abram, who's a man. And men tend to break covenants. They say something and don't always keep it. So we have a problem. We have an issue. They put the animals down. Now what happens is, time's sake, the Bible says when this happened, that evening came, the vultures came to try and eat the meat. The, the carcasses of the animals. Abraham fell into a, a deep sleep. A flaming torch of fire goes through the animals. But now we have a problem because a covenant needs two people. So I'm going to make a covenant with rifle. Okay, rifle, I'll do this. Okay, yeah, if you don't do that, rifle... It takes two people to make a covenant. 
But now we have a problem because we only have one. Where's Abraham? Sleeping. He's not there. Look at the grace of God. Who's God making this covenant with? Who did Paul say in the book of Galatians he's making the covenant with? Christ, the seed, capital S. So God is now making a covenant, and God is saying to God, should you break this covenant, God? May the same happen to you like these animals. And God says, yes, amen. And God says, I will bless you. In blessing, I will bless you. In multiplying, I will multiply you. Amen. And God cuts covenant with God. Is that covenant going to be broken? Look how good God is. Look how good the covenant is that you and I are standing in. So they could say, you break this, this happens, you break this. It's, it's not going to happen. So God cuts covenant with God. And this is what we started off in the beginning. If you are in Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to this covenant. Isn't that good? So God took Abraham out of the equation because Abraham as a mere man would screw it up. But you have God there who cannot make a mistake, who keeps his word. And now the covenant is set in stone, in blood, whatever you want to call it. We now have the Abrahamic covenant under which you and I are right now if we are in Christ. Because he became the mediator. What is a mediator? In America, you sell houses very, I say you because I'm not American yet, but you sell houses funny here. You have someone who sells a house and you, sell, you have someone who buys a house. And in the middle is a mediator. And the buyer goes and he says, I would it to pay so much. And the seller says, I want this. These two people never meet. You deal with this guy, the, medi- the middle man. Jesus Christ is the middleman, the mediator of this covenant. Let me just, in Galatians here, tells us. In, in the book also of Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says that Christ, the mediator, it says Jesus Christ, the man. In other words, the middle person between heaven and us down here is Jesus, the man. He's the mediator. We go to him, he goes to God. He is God, so it's just wonderful. This is why this covenant can't fail. This is why having, being in Christ, the blessing of Abraham has come upon you is so amazing. And we don't hear how amazing it is all the time. And faith comes by hearing. Can someone just bring the table so long? Let's try and save some time here. Thank you. I took Nathan fishing. Tiffany and I and Nathan last week was our week off. We went camping. And we took Nathan fishing. And I had to do everything as his father. Me. I had to... 
I say I, but we. I, I put the bait on and I bought the worms and I, I'm threading the hook onto the line and I'm doing the sinkers and getting the fishing rods ready. I'm doing everything. Everything for Nathan to enjoy his fishing is, is done. And it's all dependent on me. All Nathan had to do to enjoy the fishing was show up. That's all. That's all he had to do. Pretty sweet deal if you ask me. No goo on his fingers, no smell, no hook. At one stage, he's teach him. He's six. He doesn't know. So he's playing with a hook. I say, don't swing the hook around because the people stare. Taking the hook out of my arm. Teaching him. But it was an amazing, wonderful family event. And all my son had to do was say, yeah, let's go fishing. And everything was set in place for him. All you have to do, son or daughter of God, to receive this blessing, to receive this new covenant that is merciful toward your sin, is show up in Christ. Because when God made that covenant, all Abraham had to do to receive it was show up. And the man was sleeping, and God did it. That's why Paul says, if the law had brought all of these good things of God, then it wouldn't be by promise. You would have to earn it and deserve it. Child of God, you don't have to deserve or earn anything because that sin thing that I was talking about was taken care of at the cross by Jesus Christ himself, was raised from the dead for your and my righteousness. And now we step into this covenant that we've read about today. And that is how God treats us. And it is all because of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Man, why don't we do this more often? Because this is so, isn't he good? Didn't he pay such an amazing for you and I to just have to show up and give our lives completely and totally and in every way to Him and say, man, I'm yours. I now step in you and I receive everything you have for me. The good, the bad, and the ugly of life, we do it together. I want us to get the elements, you know how we do it, we line up, we come get it, but then just to, before we take, just to, for one minute, just to hold the elements and know that this is what perfected you. The, the flesh, the body of Jesus and the blood. 2 Corinthians 5 says that all things have been made new. All things are of God. And because of that blood, he became a curse so that we can become the righteousness. You don't lose your righteousness when you sin. You run to Him and the blood cleanses you. That's why we have hearts that are open and willing to repent and be spoken to by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because He's writing on there all of the time and we obey the writing. So let's line up, please. Come and 
take a, whatever you want to take.
John, I believe it's chapter 20. The disciples are in a room. They're hiding because of fear. And Jesus enters the room. Now, my mind is renewed. I'm still working on it. But if I were Jesus, I would have a couple of choice words for those disciples hiding in the room because of fear. After they've walked three years with me, I've said to them as Jesus, I'm coming back. And they're hiding because of fear. Jesus comes in and he says, peace be to you. He could have said a lot of things. He could have said a lot of things. But he says, as a father sends me, so I send you. And again, I say, peace be to you. If Jesus says, don't fear and you fear, what is that called? Sin. Yeah, he says, don't fear, you fear, it's sin. So the disciples are sinning. They're in a room hiding away because of fear. And Jesus walks in and he doesn't mention that. He doesn't say, man, I've walked for three years with you guys. Look at you. Didn't say that. He said, peace be with you. And then what did he do? He breathed on them. Catch this. He breathed on them to do what? After he showed him his hands and his side to receive the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus do? Where do, we, where do we know some other part in the Bible? Somebody breathed on somebody and they became alive. Genesis 2. God breathed on that piece of clay and they became alive. So Jesus in this room takes them back to the garden before sin existed. And he breathes into them. It's Jesus. He could have said, receive the Holy Spirit. He could have laid his hands on them and they would have dropped to the floor. He didn't. He breathed on them like the Father breathed on Adam. And he says, through this, receive the Holy Spirit. 